Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Alexis the Midwife. And I'm Becky the Doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and follow us over on Instagram. We are so excited not only to begin our second season of the podcast, but to also announce that we now have a fantastic partnership with Sophie Le Giraffe. Woohoo! What an amazing time for this to happen, Lex, because did you know that this year Sophie celebrates her 60th birthday on May 25th? Well, it doesn't surprise me at all. That's amazing. I know. And across this season, we're going to have some exciting things lined up in Sophie's honour, including a special birthday celebration episode. That is very exciting. (laughs) And here's an amazing fact for you, Becky. Over the 60 years, 70 million babies from all around the world have grasped, chewed and enjoyed making her squeak by squeezing her little tummy. I can totally believe that. It feels like it's always been the must-have toy for babies everywhere, doesn't it? Absolutely. It was on the list for my three, and they absolutely love their Sophie Le Giraffes. And if you want to see the full range of Sophie Le Giraffe products, head over to sophielegiraffe.co.uk. So pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy, and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Mother Box. Today, we'd love to welcome our very first guest on season two to the show. Jen Della is a mother, head of editorial over at Black Ballad, an online platform rooting for black women worldwide, host of the brilliant podcast, The Survival Guide, and an author. Jen Della, welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, and thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. Really excited. So obviously, as a midwife and doula, we love a birth story. So we like to kick off all our episodes by asking straight in there with a deep convo, how was your pregnancy? How was your birth? And also, how was your transition to motherhood, I guess? My first childbirth or my first birth was... um Obviously, you don't know what to expect. So it was quite scary because I remember I was at home alone when I got my first contraction at like two o'clock in the morning. And I kind of didn't know what to do. I was like, oh, should I? Okay, let me try and sleep. Obviously, you can't really sleep, especially like the first time round. You're kind of like, oh my gosh, like what's going on here? I tried to sleep. I then got up at about six and I had a shower because I thought I want to be clean when I go to the hospital. <laughs> and um, I think it was about eight o'clock and I called the hospital and I was like, 
I'm coming in and they said oh no you can't um maybe just wait see how it goes I was like I'm by myself I'm not waiting at home I need to like be around someone who can help me so for context my husband was actually in prison when I was given birth the first time around so yeah I was by myself my friends and everyone were kind of like around but I didn't like no one was live was there in the house with Mm. me so I got in the taxi um I went right the way across London because everyone told me that this particular hospital was the best hospital that you had to go to so I was stuck in like (laughs) I was stuck in like morning traffic with these like crazy (laughs) contractions and I had like a little tray of ice that I was like chewing on to like stop myself from like screaming out loud or whatever because I'd also been told that you know if you're in a taxi they'll just drop you at the nearest hospital right because they're like I don't want to give like deliver a baby in the back of my taxi and I was like no (laughs) go into my hospital so I was like crunching on the ice like as the car was going over bumps I was like it was actually the most (laughs) looking back now it was so silly like I should have just gone to my local hospital but I got to hospital and I wasn't really kind of anywhere along in terms of like um Mm. dilation so they were like oh do you want to go home I was like no I'm staying here there's no one at home like I need to be here um my auntie I told her along the way so she kind of like came in before work she stayed with me until um I think it was my friends then came and it was a really long drawn out process and I think it was because I was in the hospital and I was quite anxious like I wasn't relaxed at all Mm. it was very like long it was very drawn out and then maybe like almost 24 hours later um I was in fully established labor I'd been pushing for an hour my son hadn't moved at all and I remember the midwife kind of saying to me at the time oh we need to take away your gas and air because I think that the pain relief is slowing down your labor I was like no 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 like I need it I need it and she was like no I'm taking yeah, you're it like, away do not come near me <laughs> <laughs> like literally um I'm ready to fight but obviously I was so weak I couldn't <laughs> yeah. do anything so she took it away and she was like come on push 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 and it got to the point and I was like I cannot push anymore I am like I'm Mm. done like I can't and she wasn't a nice midwife she was like oh she was like come on you know you can do this and so for context she was a um black Nigerian midwife and I'm from a Nigerian heritage and she was kind of like you know you're African you can do this and I literally went I can't and at that moment my heart rate started dropping the baby's heart rate started dropping the crash team had to be called and it all kind of just went like crazy from there I went into theatre um they were kind of like telling me to sign something to like wave my, I don't know, like if something happened, I, I can't remember what it said, to be honest. My mom was reading it because my mom had come down from Birmingham at this point because that was how long I was in labour. She could travel from Birmingham. <laughs> to London. Yeah, so she was trying to like read this thing and they were like, there's no time. You need to sign it. I was like, I can't hold the pen. Mom, can you sign it? And they were like, no, you need to sign it. So I literally had the pen in like a claw grip and just did like a cross. Oh, the epidural was administered. <laughs> My son was delivered by forceps and um, mm. he was healthy. I think the issue was that he was actually the wrong way around. So he wasn't head mm. down, which I don't know why they hadn't worked out, but he wasn't head down. The cord was wrapped around his neck. So that's why he wasn't coming. And he was delivered. Nice. Um, we were both all right. But then like literally within, I think that was probably about two o'clock in the morning. And then by like eight o'clock, they were like, okay, like need to start thinking about getting up, getting ready and thinking about going home. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait. 
that was literally the most traumatic thing that I've ever been through. Whoa. Like, what's going on? But it was, because it was such a busy London hospital, I think they were under pressure to, like, have beds free or whatever. So I ended up staying for a few more hours. I went home. And, yeah, I was like, yeah, that wasn't fun. Don't know if I really want to do that again. But the sec- <laughs> my second pregnancy was actually a surprise, so it wasn't planned. It was completely different, to be honest. I went to my local hospital um, because, obviously, I was like, it can't be much worse there than it was at this kind of supposedly great hospital I went to my local hospital the care was amazing my labor was Mm. so swift and I think because I knew my body as well like I kind of as soon as the first kind of contraction Mm. happened I was like it's fine just go to sleep rest get your energy up because I think last time my labor was prolonged because I was so tired like I hadn't eaten I was barely slept Mm. so I was like yep get your rest and my friend was staying with me um So I got up at, I can't remember what time it was in the morning. I had a shower. She was still, my friend was still asleep. And then I got out of the shower, got dressed and I said, oh, can you time these contractions for me? And she started timing them. She was like, no, we need to go to the hospital right now. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I'm hobbling down the stairs into her car. The contractions are coming more and more. And she said that she was so scared that I was going to give birth in like the car park of my building because they were like so like strong. <laughs> I had to like fold into like her little like beetle car, like it contra- <laughs> contracting like crazy, but like cramped over in her car. We drove to the hospital, which was literally like three minutes down the road. And I got out. I got into like the um, labor ward. So I'd wanted to be in the birth center and had this like really kind of like, I guess, chill water birth. But when I got to the labor ward, they were like, yeah, you need to get to like the room now. Otherwise you're going to give birth right here in the like corridor. Mm. So I was like, oh my gosh. So like, I was like hobbling, half carried. Like within an hour, my son was here and it was, it was so quick. I didn't even have pain relief. I was just pushing. He was like 10 pounds. So he was absolutely massive. I tore terribly, but the whole experience was completely different. The level of care was just like amazing. Mm. The, the midwives were just, it was literally like the best birth that I could have hoped for. Um, so yeah, those mm. are my two mm. very different experiences. Amazing. And it just goes to show, doesn't it? Like listening to you with your stories, how safe and supported we feel how that can affect our birth and how we can kind of lean into birth and go with it mm. and how we can close up and, and and fight against it and kind of I mean that must have been so hard your first time particularly waking up on your own and the nights are harder aren't they because it feels everything feels more intense at night time I think when you're yeah. already feeling sort of edgy and a bit scared by everything so for me, it's like, God, it just goes to show, doesn't it? Sort of how when we're feeling really cared for, how we can, our body just kind of can give into it a bit more. Lightening the load the second time round and thinking about, you know what, I'm not going to traipse across the whole of London and go to that trust. I'm going to go to the one that's just down the road, which means I can get there. And thank goodness you did, because it sounds like it, you know, everything was happening very quickly the second time round. So you probably would have given birth in a taxi had it been the second time <laughs> round and you'd been going across. But also how different two births, two labours can be. And also the fact that it's such a personal experience, which is that no matter what it looked like from the outside, how it felt for you is what really matters. And it mm. sounds like the second time round, you just felt more in control. You felt less anxiety. You felt calmer. You felt like you had the people around you that were giving you the support you needed. And what a huge difference that that made. 
We um we love your brilliant podcast, The Survival Guide, and specifically the focus that you put on um, about the fourth trimester, which I don't know if you know, but Becky and I are really, really passionate about, which is why we wrote the little book of self-care for new mums, because we were like, so much emphasis goes into planning, preparing for this birth that you're going to have and what it's going to look like and, you know, all of the detail and the minutiae. And then we just have a baby. And like you were saying the first time round, they're like, yeah, you can go home now. That's it. And then suddenly you find yourself at home with a new baby thinking, what do I do now? How do I look after myself? Huge mental adjustment, huge amount of physical healing going on, complete sleep deprivation. And how do we look after and care for ourselves so well during that time? So what were your priorities fourth trimester wise with both of your babies? What what sort of helped, what hindered, what worked for you? So first time around, I literally didn't know what to expect. I didn't know anything. So my mum had actually said that she would come and stay with me because um, she kind of alluded to the fact that she had struggled postpartum with my brother and with me. So she was like, yeah, I don't want you to be alone. I'm going to come and stay with you. And to be honest, our relationship at the time wasn't great, but I was like, okay, fine. Um, Mm. Looking back, I'm so glad that she did because it was just so, yeah, it's like... I think the thing is, is like you can never really prepare fully, like as much as you try to explain to people and like I've got friends who are pregnant and they're like, oh, you know, what's it like? And it's like, I can't even put into words just that crazy shift from like being pregnant to all of a sudden having a little baby and healing and feeling kind of, it's almost like a bit of an outer body experience. So I just didn't feel very much myself for so long. After a few months, maybe I realized that I had postpartum depression, but only because my cousin kind of said to me, oh, are you depressed? Like after she'd kind of come and seen me and I was like, maybe she was like, oh, I have postpartum depression. And I was like, oh, okay, let me like look into it and see what it is. And I was like, oh yeah, I've got that. So that first time around, I think part of it was like not knowing what to prepare for, not knowing what to do, but also just so much going on in my life at the time. As I said, my husband was in prison at the time. So it was like, I was dealing with that emotional, like he had literally gone like a month before I gave birth. So like not ideal at all. So um. Yeah. I was dealing with all of that. My mom's here, like I'm grateful for the help, but our relationship is still quite strained. So we're still clashing a little bit. We're having disagreements about ways of feeding, about kind of things to do with the baby. And it was just, yeah, it was just so, it was just such a tough time, but my auntie actually came around. So one of my aunties came around for the first week and she said that um, she had her first three children in Nigeria and her last child in the UK. And she said when she had her last child, she experienced depression for the first time because that community wasn't around her the way it was in Nigeria. So she came around like for about a week. She like wrapped my, did this thing where she like wrapped my body with hot towels. She like made this extremely spicy spicy soup that made my eyes water but somehow (laughs) felt like it made everything better I don't know and she kind of just provided this care like she she was working full-time so she could literally only come for like an hour before she went to work but that just again it was just feeling like kind of like cared and like held and like that acknowledgement that Mm. no it's not just back to business as usual like you do need this adjustment time like it helped even though it was still like really really difficult the second time around was a bit different because obviously I had my oldest son who I think was about three so 
interesting age. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think because my birth was just so like, like just so nice, just so caring, just so empowering, even though it was a bit more like, okay, had to start doing the nursery runs and all that kind of stuff, like pretty soon after giving birth I just felt a bit more like in my body if that makes sense like I just felt a bit more like centered I felt a bit more like oh yeah I can do this so I didn't have as much as I'd say like after birth care the second time around as I did the first time around but at the same time I didn't need it in the same way that I did the first time around and also I was just a bit more like so like the first time around I literally went out for a walk the day after I gave birth I don't know what I was thinking like I was hobbling down the road so the second time around I was just more like gracious with myself um more ready to ask for help as well so if you know what today I can't drop I can't drop my son off can someone just come and drop him to Mm. nursery and pick him up like I was just so much more ready to just ask for help and that's how it's meant to be and can we just backtrack a minute you were hobbling down the road a day after you'd had a forceps delivery can we just can we just hold space for that moment i do think that our sort of western society just pushes this silly narrative of this kind of um showing up stoic you know the amount of times you hear people go oh i saw her on day two she looked well really amazing walking the dog and kind of and lex Mm. and i've talked about this before Mm. we've we've been really lucky and had the honor and privilege of working abroad in cultures where women are scooped up and there is more ceremony and ritual around childbirth and and the transition into motherhood and you would be really really sternly told off and march back to bed if you were caught out on day two and we need that like we need Mm. permission to stop and rest and actually we need importance placed on rest and I remember listening Jendela to your fourth trimester podcast I went on a walk and I was like yes sir yes because you guys were all talking my you know I'm like that's what we need to be doing it's kind of being supported I think on that that particular episode you were talking to the girls about their experiences and one of them said that they the word that they would use to describe the fourth trimester was wild (laughs) and I was like yeah "Uh, yes it is (laughs) I was like thinking back to when I had my first child, I'd already been a midwife for six years and you could have just, I felt blindsided by it. I was like, mm. wow. Like, and also I had this thing where, because I'd done a lot of night shifts as a midwife, I thought that I'd be totally okay with being up all night long with a baby. But what I hadn't taken into account was being up a lot all night long with a baby, ongoing with no end in sight, healing mm. physically from my own birth experience and sort of adjusting to to parenthood and everything that that brings, all the many, many layers that that brings. And it's it's huge, isn't it? It's absolutely huge. And I think you, you know, you saying that your auntie coming over and carving out an hour here or there to make you soup, to to wrap your legs, to just hold that space for you and to acknowledge the huge amount of work that your mind and your body had done in making a human being must have been you know incredible just even if it was just for that small amount of time to have that acknowledgement there yeah because I think obviously you spend so much time caring about this baby that you just don't really think about yourself as much Mm. so having Mm. someone there to be like no actually yeah the baby's cute the baby's beautiful but I'm here for you like I'm here to help you what do you need me to do this is what I think will help you heal it was just so I don't even know the word to use. It was just really beautiful. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. I'm so grateful. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. 
Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We hope you're enjoying our chat with Jen Della so far. But now for a little ad break, because Lex and I wanted to tell you a little more about the wonderful Sophie Le Giraffe and why she's so popular with babies around the world. She is a brilliant companion for your baby's development. From the age of three months, Sophie is designed to stimulate each of your little one's senses. The first one being... Sight. It is sight, absolutely. (laughs) And at this stage, a baby's eyesight is still limited and they're only able to focus on high contrasts. And did you know that those little spots all over Sophie's body are brilliant for catching your baby's attention and will provide visual stimulation, ensuring she becomes a familiar and reassuring friend to your baby? Oh, I love that. And as the series goes on, we'll be going through all the other senses that make Sophie so special for your little ones, as if we needed any more reasons to love her. But right now, let's get back to the second part of our brilliant chat with Jendela. I had this amazing experience where I got to go over to Morocco and I got to spend a week with um, up in North Morocco, the traditional midwives there. These lovely midwives, like 70 and 80 years old, look after the women in their community. And they were telling us that... um, They'd go and they would take the women they were looking after to the hammam every couple of days and they'd scrub their bodies down with eucalyptus and they would do what they refer to as vaginal steaming with apple mint and they would then sing and laugh and tell stories, massage the women. They would then swaddle them like a baby, tuck them up and wake them up an hour later with protein with eggs with casseroles with chicken with with hot food and hot teas and this would happen every couple of days ongoing for a month or so and so I was chatting to the midwives over there and I was saying you know and you guys you all have 12 13 14 15 babies and they said yeah well you do the same if you had the care that we have after we have a child (laughs) and I was thinking yeah I need that care now very true yeah It does make you look at our system and, you know, we're very lucky to have the NHS, but I worked in a postnatal hospital in Thailand for a tiny little while doing some training and it's the same there. You go to bed, for you do your 40 days, you have your massages, you know, you're not allowed to wash your hair because you've got to keep your body warm. So you have this lovely, like almost like a dry shampoo massage and your hair's brushed for you and... And then I remember, same as you, Jendela, having my first. And a little while later, they're like, okay, bye then. I'm like, what? Where's my where's my special soup and my massage? And, you know, what? I don't want to leave yet. What? It was kind of just, it felt like you're just dropped, you know, and you feel really vulnerable, yeah. don't you? You know? Well, we laugh about this, don't we, Becky? Because three days after I had my first son and I was recovering from quite an extensive tear, three days afterwards... I went to Costa Coffee with all of my mates with their their babies and my baby. (laughs) And I look back, I've got a photograph of myself and I look ill. There's no two ways about it. I should, I look unwell. I should have been tucked up in bed, having loads of skin to skin with my baby, like shutting the outside world, you know, away for just a week or two and allowing myself to adjust and heal. I think I was, when I look back and I realised first time round especially, I was in shock Like, I think I was actually in Mm. shock at that point. Yeah, I absolutely, the thing that I absolutely hate is this idea of like the snapback, like you're meant to just kind of click your fingers and all of a Mm. sudden, 
like nine months of extreme change has just like disappeared it actually makes Mm. me physically sick when I hear people kind of even so even the first time around I lost a lot of weight very quickly Mm. because I was depressed and people Mm. like oh wow you snapped back so wonderfully like oh and I was like yeah I'm depressed (laughs) and it was like silence (laughs) yeah but um Yeah. yeah I just hate that like pressure and it's kind of like I think the second time around I've really been on a journey of just kind of like Mm. letting myself ease into especially having like to like just ease into that process Mm. I'm trying to be a lot more gracious with myself and even like with my body um trying to I guess honor it by eating more healthily by trying to incorporate more movement but more as kind of like this is my body that has done this amazing thing and I'm gonna honor it by taking care of it not like oh my gosh I need to fit back into these jeans that I wore when I was like like 23 or whatever so um that's the journey that I'm on at the moment and I mean I still need to get back to yoga um especially with lockdown like trying to do Mm. yoga not zen at all (laughs) but Mm. we'll get there But I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think, again, it comes back to this um, false expectation we give women. So we talk about this, the postnatal period being six weeks. And actually, when I specialised my my massage in, in pre and postnatal, you realise how ridiculous that is. You know, your body hasn't even begun to start ev- adjusting properly by six weeks. And actually, they say they said to us, you need to double the time it takes to grow your baby for your body to kind of recalibrate back to how it was before. So that's, that's 18 months you're looking at. Mm. So if we tell women six weeks, we're basically setting them up to feel like they're failing when they're not feeling back to normal, back to their old self, really strong. And, you know, so I feel like we need to be more honest with women about what to expect postnatally to understand actually what your body does and continues to do because then that way you sort of gift yourself you feel like yeah I deserve that you know but I feel like we sort of almost set them up to feel like they're doing it wrong somehow or you know failing which is rubbish also Jandela interesting that you should say about your auntie who had three babies in Nigeria and then one here and got to you know was had postnatal depression and it's not surprising when we have a culture that sets us up where there you are with depression, having lost all this weight. And people are like, wow, you look fantastic. What are you doing? Share your secrets with us. <laughs> like, how horrendous is that? Seriously. So bad, isn't it? Oh, we've got it all wrong. We're, we're get, you know, little bit by bit, we're getting there. But actually, another thing that you talked about was this hybrid and a bit of confusion as to sort of that side of things and your auntie coming and saying, well, this is this is what we would do in Nigeria and this is what really helps. And then this living in busy, bustling London and, you know, midwife sending you on your way five minutes after you've had a baby and very minimal postnatal support and care. Isn't that confusing? Don't you think there's an element yeah. there that's you don't you don't know whether you're coming or going? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I feel like it can be quite delirious that whole period because it's like Mm. yeah like you've got people even with like the home visits like it's kind of like this person so the first time around there was like I think part of the issue was that there was no continuity of care with the midwife so I was just always seeing just someone different and it was like who are Mm. you and now you're in my house and saying that you want to inspect my stitches and like I like I don't know who you are and now you're asking like really (laughs) intrusive questions about where my husband is and who I've got around me and all this kind of thing it's just very like yeah I described the first time around it was just delirium like I didn't know whether I was coming I didn't know where I was going I didn't know what I was doing Mm. all I knew keep this baby alive 
that's kind of it and just trying to do that and yeah there's just so many like mixed messages because then like you look and you see motherhood kind of painted as this like this like almost angelic like experience Mm -hmm. and like you see there's that whole like yummy mummy kind of expectation Mm -hmm. and people are like oh yeah you're on maternity oh you've got a nice little holiday and it's like no it's not a bloody holiday like makes my blood boil literally I'm like "Ah." (laughs) yeah and then it's like oh so when are you gonna get back to work and all this kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. it's like you don't have time to process this massive shift that has happened like this baby as much as you love it it's almost like a bum that has been dropped in your life and just blown up everything and then people like Mm. okay so um why are you not together why are you not like back at like what you were doing before oh you know you've changed so much oh you know don't forget who you are and it's like at what point can I remember when there's all Mm. of this stuff being thrown at me and yeah it's just really disheartening but then also we don't have the infrastructure in our society to make these spaces to like be there for each other so as much as I know what my friends are going through who are pregnant and have -hmm. just given birth it's like I don't have their actual capacity to be there in the way that I want to be there for them mm-hmm. I want to yeah. be able to support them but I've got two children of my own and childcare yep. is ridiculously expensive and mm-hmm. do I bring the two kids and just add further chaos to the mm. existing chaos yeah. that is like a newborn life or you're so right and we need more money in case loading case by case care for women so like you know your first your first um, pregnancy you had so much going on that must have been mm. so difficult and actually there's nothing worse than having a really difficult time and having to keep retelling your story every time a new oh, person comes into your house because you're picking agree. the scab off every single time. Yeah. You know, if you think back to yeah. your first time, Jendela, if you'd had like a team that you knew and trusted that you would have called when you woke up in the night and you knew exactly who was going to be supporting you, it probably might, you know, would have been a very different experience. And that's what we should be aiming for, for women to have that, that proper consistent care one day. One day, please. Hopefully. <laughs> Another thing that really resonated with me, one of your, I can't remember whether it was a episode or Instagram. Sounds like we've been stalking you. We haven't. Just having a little look. <laughs> we, we have a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I love this. Was um, you talk about the fact that when, like in the, is it Yoruba culture? Yeah, you're talking Yoruba. about... Um, when when a baby is born, a mother is born, right? And that's something that we talk about quite a lot mm-hmm. from our our sort of time of working abroad. That that's something that's really honoured and celebrated and acknowledged, and not so much here. It's almost you have to have your baby, then try and look like you haven't had a baby, and not talk about your baby too much. And but you talk about how um, you're called Mama, and then the, the the name of your firstborn child. And I listened to that and thought, oh, I love that. Like I'd be mm. Mama Ella. I think that's amazing. But but then you go on to talk about how actually some people in Western culture find that really, um, they don't like it. It's like stripping their, and I thought, actually, that's so true. I hear lots of my ladies. In fact, I had, you know, a few people say, I don't want to be called mum or, you know, when you're talking to me, call me my name. And I'm like, okay, fine. And I was thinking, why is that? Like, why are we different here? And I was mulling it over and I was thinking, is it again? Because we don't celebrate motherhood. We don't celebrate that transition into being a mum. Like, what what do you think? 
I think it's definitely because that whole like the area of the domestic is really devalued in Western culture. Mm. So it's kind of like any idea of like women's work, whether that's cleaning, whether that's caring for children, it's just straight devalued. So yeah, so to have your identity kind of defined by something that's domestic, I think can be interpreted as quite limiting or like demeaning. I know that women also talk about going back to work and trying to have to prove that, you know, having a child isn't going to hold me back or like when their Mm. child's sick they're kind of agonizing because they don't want to take time off Mm. and say that it's because they've got a sick child because it makes them look unserious and it's just yeah that whole domestic sphere is just not valued at all in this country and I think that is why a lot of women feel like I don't want to be known as so-and-so's mummy or when they hear Mm. them like or on the playground like you know like with mums like you don't really know each other's names for a while you just know Mm. oh that's such and such mum and they find that really kind of a bit offensive because we don't value the domestic in kind of like western culture so yeah it's really sad because when we ever you like you look at early child development and you realize how much kind Mm. of caregivers and the home shapes and molds a child's sense of self the way that a child will interact with the world so whoever you are at home with children whether that's mum whether that's dad whether that's another type of caregiver like your Mm. role is so important and we know that especially because when something goes wrong and I think many women in the black community will relate to it as soon as something happens to like a black boy it's like where was the mother what was the mother doing what was the family setup oh that child went off and joined a gang because the mother isn't at home doing what the mother should be doing but it's like but you've made people feel like they shouldn't be at home or you've created economic conditions where they can't stay at home. They have to go out and be working two or three jobs. So there's this really like mixed messaging that just, it sends us kind of a bit loopy because we don't know where we should be kind of placing our emphasis. We don't know where we should be kind of investing our time. And even for me, the first time around, I had to make this decision that, you know what? I'm going to stay at home for as long. If I'm going to work, I'm going to find work that can work around my child because I want to be at home. And I remember talking to a friend and she was like, oh, but um, obviously to do that, you have to rely on like kind of like state assistance. And she was Mm. like, oh, but don't you feel don't you feel a way about kind of being on housing benefit or like I just don't want to rely on the state. And I was like. If, the, if this state, if this country wants my son to grow up to be a healthy, functioning, contributing member of society, then they can afford to let me stay at home to help mould him to be that. But it was like such a journey for me to get there because there is like so much shame and stigma about, oh, just staying at home with the kids. Or like, so what? So when are you going to go and get a real job and all this kind of thing? And it's, um, mm. it's. It's a shame because motherhood is such an important journey. However you Mm. get there, that journey is so important. It should just be valued so much more. Definitely. Jendela, can I ask something? The tradition, what would it be? Is it your firstborn that comes? So is it mama? For me, would it be Toby, who's my eldest? Yes. Yeah. So your firstborn and you'll kind of be known by mama the firstborn name for like kind of the rest of your life (laughs) and um, but but it's also the same for um fathers as well so fathers will also be known as baba firstborn for like um more within kind of I guess family kind of like um familiar spaces but that will be kind of like their name for the rest of their life (laughs) I think about, and I'm sure you two are the same, I've got so many names in my phone where I've put like, you know, whatever, like Sarah, Jacob or something like that. And I've put the name of the kid behind so I can remember which person that is. 
Yeah. Who's I still that number have. Is? <laughs> I still Excuse have Ella's me. 15 my eldest is 15 and I've still got a couple of her friends names like it says you know so and so so and so's mum and you know but I kind of almost am a bit nostalgic and don't want to change it now because it kind of yeah, I'm like well that's how I met them you know Jodella you've got your two gorgeous babies and then you've got your other baby which is Black Ballad <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit more about this you know, this this project that obviously you've been hugely passionate about and, you know, what it is as a resource really and what your hopes are for it going forward. Black Ballad was founded in 2014 by um, Toby and Bala, who are like our co-founders. And Toby was working in journalism and just realised that, I mean, we know, we know because the story saw the same diversity was just really poor. Mm. Black women's experiences weren't, be ref- weren't being reflected. So she wanted to create a platform where... Black women could write about whatever they wanted to write about, not just race. And our experiences could be like reflected as part of just a general ongoing conversation, not like, oh, it's Black History Month or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it launched, I was so excited. I remember the day that it launched. I didn't know Toby too well at the time. And I was like emailing her like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. Oh, my gosh, I can't subscribe. Like, how do I do? And all this kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And over time, I was writing for them. And then when they wanted someone to take over editorial, they asked me to come on board and I was only too happy to kind of get on board and last year I think we decided to put a focus on black motherhood so we actually got some funding to conduct a survey because when you're looking into like experiences and data around motherhood black British women is kind of absent if you look for black mums you'll find America but obviously America is very different to the UK and in the UK all the data is kind of um, flattened out so you don't know um, whether you're talking about white mums or Asian mums or black Mm. mums it's just kind of like mothers so we did a survey which went uh, I think about over 2,000 women took part in the survey just to find out the experiences on loads of different things. I think there was like 181 questions or something. That's (laughs) amazing though, 2,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. um, It's so much. We're still like sifting through the results even like a year later. And then from there, we just started this kind of like dedicated vertical of commissioning articles from women that really spoke to the experiences that we were seeing in the data, but also whoever else wanted to like kind of tell their story like you're welcome to come and tell your story and you'll be paid and then as part of that ongoing project we launched the survival guide as like a podcast because again we just needed another vehicle to like put all this information that we'd found and just another way to like bring like women in to kind of tell their stories and it's just been amazing like having the feedback from like women who are saying like oh I literally just had my son and I found this podcast and it's like it's keeping me company through like feeding and all this kind of stuff and it's just been so encouraging because I think that um the motherhood space has changed so much over the last um few years but it's not too long ago that it did feel very like particular in the kind of stories that were focused and not just like to say a white woman but a very like certain type of white so like middle class or like Mm. probably quite affluent um conventionally attractive like it was very kind of like narrow and obviously things like instagram Mm. opened up a way for like other mums to kind of come and tell their stories but it was just really exciting to kind of almost like kind of spearhead and own not that we're the only people who do this by any means but kind of really own this project and kind of say you know what 
we're going to talk about black motherhood, the good, the bad, the mm. troubling, because again, I think with so much expectations of like black women and so much stigma around certain parts of black life, like sometimes you don't really want to talk about the hard parts. There's a lot mm. of like respectability politics because of like stigma for example with like if you're a single mom and you're raising a son like oh there's this idea that oh black women can't raise boys by themselves because they'll go off and they'll become gang members or they'll get involved in there's all these kind of like narratives that make it quite hard to be honest so this project was just really about just busting it wide open and just saying Mm. we're gonna be honest we're gonna talk and you know what ultimately you're not alone no matter what path you're Mm. on you're not alone and even if you don't directly relate to say the experience of a woman who's had a miscarriage or like ectopic pregnancy just knowing that there's another mom who's going through something it can just be encouraging because it's like it's not weird that I'm struggling it's not weird that I didn't get pregnant straight away and I had to get IVF or I had to go through this process like it's not strange and that's Mm. just been really exciting you said can I just go go back I just backtrack slightly to what we're talking about you guys talking about the um fourth trimester and fertility and getting pregnant and all of those things and one of the things that I've noticed is that you do talk about the raw emotions you talk about feelings and thoughts and you know how that affects you and how that massively affects the narrative of motherhood and then I remember on another episode I listened that you were hosting you spoke about the fact that that was one thing that you felt was missing postnatally for you is that there was the like the logistics and the practical support sometimes but not so much of a discussion as to a big hug and someone saying you know Jandela this is very normal that you'd feel this way these emotions and this very raw vulnerable open feeling is is really really normal postnatally do you think that sort of shaped the fact that you wanted to talk about that more and and be really open about that side of things like almost yeah. leaning into that vulnerability in a way absolutely and at, at first I was kind of wondering oh are women gonna want to talk so openly like mm. at the start I interviewed a lot of my friends but as we went on we were interviewing like other women who I didn't really know that well and I was always wondering oh are women gonna be that open but they were and I think it is because a lot of the time we do feel like we're kind of just keeping things in just kind of keep calm carry on keep it together and Mm. even especially like and when you've got children I think I'm very aware about how my emotions might affect them and kind of the emotional temperature of Mm. the home so even for them you're kind of like trying to keep it together so having a space where you can just be like okay just let it all out no judgment Mm. and that kind of like empathy it is so so precious and it definitely did direct the tone that I wanted things to take and um, thankfully like other women saw it too and were like you know what yeah we're gonna talk about the hard bits we're gonna talk about the fun bits we're gonna have a little laugh and maybe poke a bit of fun at ourselves yeah but we're just gonna be honest and I think honesty is just so empowering I think it's Definitely. so, it, it, and and by the way, that completely comes across in your podcast. And this is not something to be taken for granted because still, and I teach so, so many expectant mums and so often postnated that they'll say, oh, nobody ever talks about the tough bits and it absolutely mm. shocked me to the core how tricky it can feel sometimes. There's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. This is all part of the, you know, evolution into motherhood and the fact that it is such a huge changing our lives and it is so normal to feel all those huge feelings and such a you know such different sort of ends of the spectrum of of emotions the huge highs the really tricky lows at times 
And I I think it's a really, really important conversation to be having. And so good to use the platform for the realness as well, because the Mm. the trouble with social media is there's so much of this like polished best scenario being Mm. shown, which then if you know, if you are feeling down can make you compare and feel rubbish. And you and and even when you know it's not real, it's not real life, it's all the best bits. I think you can still get caught in that trap, can't you? Of thinking, Mm. oh, you know, so I think it's so good when you share the real stories, because I think it helps people so much more. You know, that's what they need to be seeing and hearing. It's amazing. So we also saw when we were stalking you that you have written a novel. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> called yeah. called Hope and Glory. Can you tell us a bit about it? I, I We have read the synopsis and Lex and I were like, oh, it mm. sounds good. It's a juicy story, isn't it, Gentella? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, even if I do say so myself, it is. Um, yeah, so it's basically about, um, so it centres a young British Nigerian woman who kind of comes back from her time in America, which was supposedly glamorous kind of like living this great kind of like life out in LA and she comes back because her dad's died but also her whole kind of like family is in disarray her brother has been kind of convicted and sent to prison um her mom is like on the edge obviously with so much kind of like tragedy her sister is like highly strung and trying to keep everything together so they're clashing and she comes back to this kind of like mess and in the midst of it she realizes that there's this kind of like family secret which no one has spoken about or it's kind of brushed aside and she starts to kind of unpick and unravel it but obviously causing more um, trouble within this family which is already kind of almost falling apart yeah so it's a book that I've been writing it feels like so long now I think I've been writing it since about 2017 so it's been a long time coming but you know kids and all that (laughs) Um, and and pandemics yeah. kids <laughs> pandemics all, all sorts but um it survived the book survived and it will be out in almost exactly a year yeah 2022 february it'll be out i'm really excited like um it feels in a very different way but it feels like another kind of birth as such yes um, so yeah looking forward to that, it that one could be your fourth baby yeah <laughs> after your, many, your many two children. human babies your black <laughs> yeah. and then your novel <laughs> Gentella, finally we always ask our lovely guests the following question if you could add a note to pop inside a mother box heading out to a brand new mum with your best bit of advice on it what would it say i would say allow yourself to feel everything feel the good feel the bad feel the challenging but kind of give yourself the space to kind of sit with those emotions because they are valid they are important as well like I remember my therapist once told me like emotions aren't good or bad they're just Mm. indicators so like listen to your body through feeling your emotions and it's I mean it's all right to feel some days that you know what I really don't like this what have I done because that's an important emotion that kind of signifies where you are and maybe something that you need to attend to more for yourself um, Mm. that you've been neglecting so I would definitely say like allow yourself to feel it it is scary at times I remember one point during um, my kind of period of postnatal depression when my son was just crying uncontrollably in the middle of the night and I laid him on the bed and I just stood over him like, I don't know what you want from me. Like, what do you want? Like, I can't give you. And like tears were like streamed. Like he was crying. I was mm. crying. It was so, so scary. But I think I get into that moment and feeling that kind of showed me that, you know what? 
something's not right here and I need to do something about it get that support so I would say yeah just allow yourself to feel make space in and amongst everything for you to kind Mm. of really tap into your emotional temperature because it's important and it's always said like um happy mom happy baby but really if you're not okay like you Mm. can't give what you need to give to your child who you obviously love so much no matter how you feel so yeah wise wise words and it sounds like from somebody who's done the work do you know what I mean yeah oh Gendella it's been an absolute joy speaking to you today thank Thank you you so much much for coming on I feel like I could keep asking you questions but I know our time's (laughs) running out absolutely we're just gonna have to wait just order the book and and dive in I'm gonna go (laughs) pre-order thank you so much thank you thank you guys Thanks once again to the wonderful Jendela Benson for joining us today and talking so honestly about her birth and motherhood journey. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work that we do, look out for our books, The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums and The Little Book of Self-Care for Mums-to-Be, where we will talk further about birth, parenthood, relationships and much more. We've really enjoyed our first episode of this season and we are so excited to have Sophie Le Giraffe join us. We're sure that you all have your own stories of your bubbers and their love for Sophie, and it would be great if you could share them with us. Send us your photos and your stories to our Instagram at Notes from the Motherbox, and don't forget to tag at Sophie Le Giraffe UK on Facebook and Instagram to share your pics with her too. Join us again next week for more chats with another amazing guest. See you next time on Notes from the Motherbox. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.